Hey, by any chance, are you looking for a new representative, a Swiss representative or a UK representative? Then contact Easy Medical Device at info at easymedicaldevice.com. I-N-F-O at easymedicaldevice.com. And you'll get a great service. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Alazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standards today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we will talk about IVDR. And why IVDR? It's because soon it will be the anniversary of IVDR, if I can say. Uh, it was, if I can say, born in 2017. So it has nearly four years now or five years. I uh, can't count now. But uh, mainly the idea is that by uh, the 26th of May 2022, IVDR will be mature enough, if I can say, to grow and to then be <laughs> released on the field. So, um, and I have with me uh, uh, somebody that will help us to understand more about, uh, about IVDR. Also, what you should maybe do before IVDR, what you cannot do after IVDR is, is live. So, I have with me Colm Orourk, which is the regulatory and quality uh, consultant and will help us regarding that. So, Colm, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Hi, Manir. Thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. Great. So, Colm, um, as usual, if we can have just a small introduction of yourself, and I, I have a bunch of questions for you to help our audi- uh, auditors you do. to exactly yeah, yeah. understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm, as you said, a, a regulatory and quality consultant. So, working with uh, with Trinzo. Um, and prior to this role, uh, I worked with uh, NSAI, which is the Irish Notified Body. So, I spent uh, about five years there, which was fantastic experience. As you can imagine, seeing yeah. all sorts of things, MDR and IVDR. And uh, prior to that, I worked in the diagnostics industry, uh, both with manufacturers and in, in clinical labs as a medical scientist as well. So IVDs is, is something I'm familiar with, uh, something I enjoy talking about. So I'm looking forward to, to our chat today. Yeah, I, I think it will, uh, as you have this experience with also IVDD and now with the notified body, also the understanding of IVDR, I, I think you have the two views and you see exactly what will be good or maybe bad uh, with this new uh, legislation. But let's, yeah. let's start first to have a, a first impression of IVDR. So we, as we said, we have the, we have the IVDD uh, yeah. that was issued in 98, if I remember from the, 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 yeah, the IVDD yeah, right. <laughs> the numbers. So now IVDR is coming. So what's the feeling of the industry? What's exactly the situation with this new legislation that is, that is ongoing here? Yeah, so it's, um, it's a big change, I suppose, really is the first thing to say. You know, IVDD has been around for quite a while um, and IVDR is, it, it's, it's a massive change in so many areas, really. Um, you know, things I guess people often focus in on would be things like your technical documentation requirements, performance evaluation, post-market surveillance requirements, classification it's you know it's not the ivdr is not just a, a tweaking of of the of the ivdd it's it's a whole new beast altogether really and you know i think there's there's chunks of industry are still coming to terms with that really to be honest um and one of the i suppose one of the key factors leading into that why perhaps everyone is not you know as as ready as as they could be 
is the, the figure, and I'm sure, you know, I know previous guests have said this to you, is the number of, of devices that required notified body under the IVDD versus the number that's going to need it under, under the IVDR, you know, that 90-10 split. Exactly. So, you know, if you think about under the IVDD, only 10% of devices requiring a notified body involvement, that's only 10% that would have had that scrutiny. And now you're looking at 90% needing that scrutiny. So companies that will never have had, you know, the, the scrutiny or interrogation, as some people like to call it, of a notified body, you know, that's going to be new to them. And not alone is that process new, the requirements are so vastly different. You know, what you needed under IVDD versus IVDR is, is so much more advanced under IVDR. The IVDR is so prescriptive in so many ways. Um, so, you know, from an industry perspective, I think there's still a lot of people getting their heads around that. Um, and I guess what feeds into that then is, is sort of a, a capacity question around notified bodies. And, and I think it's industry in general, because there's capacity in terms of manufacturers. You know, if, if all of a sudden 90% of your portfolio needs a notified body, you know, you've got to hire regulatory people, quality people to start converting your tech files to get them ready. So that capacity thing, I think, is something we're seeing in industry uh, where, you know, under IVDD, there was maybe 20 odd notified bodies to service 10% of, of devices. Under IVDR, we have something like seven yeah, to service seven. 90%. So like the, the maths there are huge and they don't really add up, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, more notified bodies are coming online. But I think that's that's certainly a concern we're seeing from industry is, is that general awareness and then notified body capacity. Yeah. So uh, w- what I liked on what you said is also the fact that um, uh, a lot of manufacturers, 90%, have never seen an auditor, yeah. have never seen a notified body. And I know this surprise they will have when they will see that the first oh, yeah. time, because I imagine them saying, oh, it's just somebody coming, checking what we are doing, etc." But they will see really that it's a difficult situation if they don't really understand yeah. how to manage that, how to answer the question, how to do this and that. It's more like anything that you are saying can be <laughs> against you. So you have to get <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess a, a lot of industry, even the self-certified people under IVDD, you know, would have probably had ISO 13485 certification. So they, they might be used to a quality system audit. But that's very different than having your technical file picked apart, you know, and, and like, why have you documented this here and show me the evidence for this in your technical file. So it's definitely a different scenario. And, you know, there's the experience level within industry, then, like you say, in how to conduct yourself during an audit, you know, to be an auditee, there's there's a certain amount of experience required there. Um, you know, I, I mean, manufacturers, notified bodies. Ultimately, I think they're all trying to get to the same places, you know, have safe products on the market appropriately, CE marked, but everyone's coming at it from a different angle. So experience is really, really important. And that's, I think that's going to be a challenge in the IVD industry is not having had that notified body experience. One of the many challenges. Exactly. And, and, and when we looked at the IVDR and comparison, as you said, to the IVDD, yes, it's a complete change. Just the classification rule oh, yeah. is changing. I mean, we are used of this new classification rule under the uh, MDR or MDD because it was the way we were doing. But before yeah. it was list one and list two and all the rest. And then it's yeah, like yeah. moving from that to uh, rule one, rule two, rule three, rule four, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So just this is already, I suppose, making some difficulties for, for some of the manufacturers. 
yeah, absolutely. So it's it's a huge shift. I mean, like like you said, you had that list based system under the directives, where if your devices were on your list A or list B, then you know that that's it, it told you what level of notified body involvement you needed. So now we've gone to that risk based rule based system, which, like you said, the medical device manufacturers are familiar with, but for IVD people, it's it's new. So the classification is now ranging from A to D. You know, A being lowest risk, up to D being highest risk. And that in itself is, it is a massive change. And I think it's one of the areas where manufacturers, they really need to focus in on now, you know, and and I'm sure a lot of industry is already doing it. I know they are, is determining what their IVDR classification is because it just, it has so many impacts, you know, it it impacts the, the particular requirements when you're preparing your tech file, the level of data for performance evaluation, the post-market surveillance requirements, and then, you know, it has a, has a significant impact on the transition timelines, which I know we might speak about a little bit later on. Yeah. So that classification is, it's it's a really, really critical area for manufacturers to get their head around. So we have uh, under the MDR, uh, we are talking also a lot about clinical data. So we yeah. have a big headache, if I can say, with redoing yeah. our clinical evaluation report. Yeah. Here under IVDR, we talk about performance evaluation. So is it also a big challenge for manufacturers that have to perform those performance evaluations? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know, I suppose the difference between IVDs and medical devices is, you know, in the medical device world, if you're talking about generating new clinical data, you know, you could be talking about going out and doing a clinical study involving patients, which, you know, the ethical approval, costs and time and everything like that is, is can be extreme. On the IVD side, depending on what you're doing, sometimes it's not as complicated because you're using patient samples rather than actual patients, you know, and the ability to, to, to get sample numbers is, is usually not as difficult in the IVD world. Um, but it's still a massive challenge, the performance evaluation requirements, you know, again, comparing back to, MD, or sorry, IVDD to IVDR, it is a big area um, for manufacturers to tackle. And, you know, I think the more time, like anything, the more time they have to put into it, the better quality it's going to be. And ultimately, you know, when you turn up at your notified body's door under IVDR, the quality or performance evaluation is going to have a significant bearing on how long the review actually is, is likely to take. So uh, on, on the MDR, when we look at the quality uh, clinical evaluation, we are really, um, if I can say, uh, it, the, they are asking us, try to be clear on the claims that you are providing, mm. because those claims, you have to have some clear literature, etc. Is it the yeah. same with IVDR? Do you have to have some clear understanding of what is this project for? And you have yeah. them to verify or check against those claims? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's the same idea, but in IVDR world, the, so I guess we were talking about intended purpose here. Exactly. Yeah. Claims. The, the IVDR world, it is, it's quite a bit more prescriptive. The IVDR is more prescriptive than the MDR. So if you look at IVDR Annex 2, Section 1.1, it talks about in, intended, so that's your, or sorry, yeah, Annex 2 technical file. It gives an example of the elements that have to be considered in intended purpose. And it's quite detailed. So Intended purpose is, you know, we talked about classification and the impacts that that has, but classification is built on the foundation of your intended purpose. So if a manufacturer hasn't clearly defined their intended purpose, 
And I guess, you know, what I mean by that is, is what's, what's the asset doing? You know, is it, is it detecting? Uh, is it measuring? What, what kind of sample is it? Serum, blood, whole blood, tissue, plasma? Um, you know, is it qualitative, quantitative? Uh, is it, is it a, um, like a, a self-test, obviously, as a professional user? Is it automated? And this is all elements that are listed. Is it for diagnosis or screening? That's a huge difference. So all of those things listed in the IVDR are elements of your intended purpose. And the impact that that has, you know, firstly, is going to be your classification. So classification, just like in the MDR world, is based off intended purpose. So if you haven't clearly defined your intended purpose, you can't accurately um, classify your device. And then when it comes to performance evaluation, exactly to the point you're making, you know, if you don't have a clear intended purpose, how do you know what data to gather? Um, you know, because that's that's your starting point is you're saying, you know, it's doing X, Y, Z. OK, well, then we need to get the data to show that it does each of those. So intended purpose is, you know, and that's that's something that industry, I think, really, really has to focus on. Because, again, you know, I mentioned the, the impact of classification on transition provisions. The classification is just based on on your intended purpose so heavily. So getting in there now, getting that uh, intended purpose clear and then having a correct classification makes such a difference. And then once you know the classification, you can move ahead and start saying, okay, what do I need in my tech file? Looking at performance evaluation, post-market surveillance requirements. So it's, it's really built off that foundation of intended purpose. So if, if, if from the beginning, uh, when we take a, a product, And we are not clear on this intended purpose, but we continue and we have maybe a full classification and we continue mm. and you get the, the wrong thing. So I imagine at the end, when you arrive to notified body, they will kind of say, no, everything that you are doing now yeah. is wrong. Is it correct? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That, like that's a genuine risk. And look, it's anecdotally that is happening in industry. You know, manufacturers are are believing it's it's whatever class B, for example, they get to their notified body, notified body looks at it and says, well, based on what you're saying, this is actually a C or maybe a D or something. And it, it completely shifts the preparation that industry, that the company has to do. So definitely, you know, if, if a manufacturer has got it wrong and they get to the notified body stage, that's that's too late because you've done all the work, you know, preparing for the submission. It's too late then. So I guess, you know, if you're a manufacturer that is engaged with a notified body already, then I would say try and have a conversation about classification. You know, it's up to you as the manufacturer To, to classify your device. But, you know, most notified bodies will be happy for a manufacturer to approach them and say, look, this is what we feel the classification is and the notified body can then comment on it. You know, it's better to find that out sooner rather than later that, that you're in alignment with your notified body on classification. And there's a great guidance document um, on classification, MDCG guidance document. Yeah, exactly. Very, very useful. Yeah. I, I will try to put that on, on the show notes uh, so that yeah, people can, yeah. can get that. Um, so as you were part of a notified body before, we had always, as you said, it's better to contact the notified body than to, mm. to discuss with them. We had always this impression or, or this discussion to say a notified body cannot consult, so they cannot advise, mm. etc. So um, is it, I mean, is it still fine or it's like they cannot do that before or they can do that after they have signed the agreement? So is there some kind of rules yeah. here? Well, they can't consult in any scenario. So before a signed contract, after signed contract, notified bodies, they're, they're not allowed to consult. It's, it's built into Annex 7 of the, both regulations. Um, but, you know, what the regulation says, it, it, you know, you can still exchange, I think the wording is regulatory and technical information between a manufacturer and their notified body. So, you know, you, you can't go to your notified body and say, 
look, this is our intended purpose. What do you think the classification is? They're, okay. they're not going to tell you. That's not their responsibility. It's yours as the, notif- as, the, as the manufacturer. So you define it yourself, you justify it, but your notified body should be able to give you feedback on that. They can't tell you what to do. They can't uh, you know, push you in the right direction. But they should be able to give you feedback on that, definitely. But no, there's there's no no consulting. But that's that's why there's a, a whole industry of consultants out there, I suppose, to fill that gap. Yeah, and and because because many we have this impression. I mean, I have a lot of customers also coming from the from the U.S. market, and they mm-hmm. all tell us, "Oh, in the U.S., we have the pre uh, pre pre submission. Yeah. We have this discussion before we can call them and discuss before we submit, etc." And this is this kind of thing that they say, "Oh, uh, can we do that also with notified body in Europe?" But yeah, I remind you, it's not possible. This yeah, not it, it's it's not, you know. And there are times where it. It, it is difficult, you know, because you've got a manufacturer and, you know, in a notified body, they might be able, they might see what the manufacturer needs to do, but they, but they can't tell them, you know, legally, they can't tell them. Whereas the FDA obviously does have that pre-submission setting, um, you know, that avenue is open. Now, I suppose, you know, things that the commission can do with with something like common specifications. Now, that's that's not consultation, but I suppose what I'm getting at is, you know, you've got a common specification, theoretically, you know, on a particular device that might indicate what's an appropriate um, number of patients for a clinical study or a performance study. That's one of the biggest questions manufacturers want to know is, look, we're putting all this money into a clinical investigation. How many patients do I need to have? A notified body can't answer that for you. But something like common specifications could help take out that ambiguity. Whereas in the US, you can, you know, have that chat with the FDA. In Europe, you can't. But hopefully common common specs will fill some of those gaps in time to come. Great. So um, as we said, uh, b- before IVDR comes, you have to be clear on your product classification and everything. Is there, I mean, it will be maybe in a few days that IVDR will come now. 14 this, days. This, that's it, yeah. yeah. So um, is there still something that a last thing that they can do before IVDR comes or it's already too late for anything now? Uh, well, I suppose it, it, it depends on your situation as a manufacturer, you know, so like what, what does date of application mean in 14 days time, you know, is, is the sky going to fall in? What, what does it really mean? Um, so it, it depends, I suppose, what category you're in. Um, it depends on your class. Like you have said, you know, are you, are you a startup that hasn't placed a product on the market yet? You're developing a new, a new asset. So if you haven't got that on the market before the 26th of May, and you're placing it on the market after, you have to be 100% compliant with, with the IVDR. Whether that involves whether you're a class A self-certified or higher and you need a notified body, you have to be compliant. If you're a class A non-sterile product right now and you're on, you're on the market as an IVDD self-cert, things like receptacles and, and things like that, if they're class A non-sterile, they need to be 100% compliant with the IVDR in 14 days. Now, they're self-certified, so they don't have to go through a notified body. But of course, with those classification products, a competent authority can always ask to request your technical file. So in 14 days, they, they need to be compliant. And then the other category is really is, is that legacy products. It's the products that are on the market right now under the directive. And that one bucket, you can kind of split into two. And one side of it is the guys that have an IVDD certificate because they were list A or list B before. And the others are the self-certs under the directive that are no longer self-certs under the regulation. And for those people, I think, you know, the critical thing is the transition provisions. But, you know, we, we can talk about that. But on the point of date of application, no matter who you are, 
either the IVDR is fully applicable to you yeah. or it's partially applicable. And the partially applicable are the people that are availing of the Article 110 transition provision. And those elements that are applicable are your post-market surveillance requirements, your vigilance, registration, market surveillance. You know, and that's something, I guess, from an MDR perspective, industry would be familiar yeah. with that concept. So in 14 days, every IVD manufacturer needs to have an IVDR compliance PMS procedure, you know, just to, to boil it down to that. Um, whether they do or not, it's a different story, but technically speaking, they do. So I have, I mean, under we have also this experience under MDR about that. Yeah. And uh, we had some manufacturers that uh, said, oh, I have a MDD certificate until end of 2023. So I'm still not following MDR. And when they went to an audit, Uh, with a big notified body, they received a major non-conformity because they were not updating their uh, quality management system documentation to, as you've said, yeah. post-marketing surveillance, vigilance reporting, registration of economic operators, etc., yeah. PRC, etc. So yeah, IVDI is the same. So from the 26th Absolutely. of May 2021, Uh, partially or completely or whatever what you want, yeah. your procedure should be changed to, uh, to, to this. And yeah. it's something that, I mean, it's good to repeat and repeat again because, yeah, it's true. It, it is a major nonconformance. It's not like just a minor thing that people will be trying to manage uh, uh, in a few days. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, if we go, we spoke quite a bit already about the difference IVDD to IVDR, like the IVDD did have certain post-market surveillance requirements, but nothing like what the IVDR requires. So like you can't just magic up IVDR PMS compliance overnight. You know, you've got an auditor, let's say it's it's June or July of this year. Yeah. And you have you have an you have an IVDD certificate, right? Which is valid until you know 2025, let's say. So you don't need to fully comply with the IVDR, but you need to comply with your PMS vigilance, like we've said. You've got an audit in June or July. That auditor is within their rights to say to you, show me your PMS procedure. Show me how you comply with these elements of the IVDR. Show me your vigilance procedure. Have you updated the reporting timelines? And if you haven't, you're, you're dead right. It's going to be a major. And that's it's not easy to fix, you know? Um, so it's something manufactured, like, Like I keep saying it, there's 14 days until date of application. You know, you would hope that that manufacturers are prepared already, um, but you know, there's still time. So uh, there is also one thing that is um, critical uh, after the date of application is is live. So it's significant changes. So yeah. can we elaborate on that? And we had, I think, uh, a MDCG guidance that was released uh, recently. So. Yeah. We, we have the same concept under MDR, but I want to just tell that to people that are following IVDR because maybe they have never listened about that. So, Yeah, so the, the significant changes, it, it comes into effect when, uh, so we're talking about the date of application coming in May this year. And if you're keeping your product on the market under the directive, so under the directive certificate or under the transition provisions for, for the other devices, You cannot make one of the conditions of that is like we said, you must comply with PMS vigilance, all that, all that good stuff. But then you also can't make a significant change to the design or intended purpose of your product. So it has to remain static pretty much from a design intended purpose perspective. If you make a significant change to that, 
you need to comply then with the IVDR based on the classification you are. So the guidance documents you, you, you talked about, uh, that that's a significant change guidance document. It's really, really nice guidance document, actually. It's based quite a bit on the MDR version. Um, I Personally, I think in some areas, it actually it gives a little bit more information even than the, IVDR, uh, than the MDR one does. So it talks about, um, you know, what is a significant change, what isn't a significant change. And, you know, it nicely, it mentioned there are some design changes or intended purpose changes you can make that won't trigger IVDR. So a non-significant design or intended purpose change, there is scope to do that. Um, and I think, again, you know, we, we talked about communicating with notified bodies from a classification perspective communicating with from a significant change perspective is really important as well. And I guess, you know, the, the people that will have notified bodies will be the, the manufacturers that have their IVDD list A, list B, you know, certification. Um, but they should approach their notified body for consideration. You know, look, we're making this significant change. And just like the classification, the onus is on the manufacturer to decide whether it's significant or not. You can't ask your notified body to tell you whether this is significant. They, they won't do it. Um, you need to decide based on the evidence and provide a justification. The guidance document gives you really, really nice information to do that. But then you can approach your notified body and say, look, we've made this determination. We don't think it's significant. You know, do you agree or disagree? And so, I guess it's just that safety net of, of having that, because, again, if you do make that change and it is significant, you have to convert to, so, to IVDR. So we have uh, I, I'm already hearing, if I can say, some people saying to <laughs> maybe behind the screen to say, I agree with you, but mm. uh, there are seven notified bodies. Uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. have one. I, I have an IVDD uh, self-certified product. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know that I would have a change in three months. I contact them. Nobody is picking the phone. So yeah. what should I do in that case? Well, I mean, what's my options here? Yeah, it's like, it's a really difficult situation. You know, like I really feel for that the huge chunk of industry that's caught between a rock and a hard place, you know, and they want to comply, but they sometimes don't have the, the avenues to help them comply. So, I mean, I think in that situation, really what a manufacturer can do is, is take the guidance document it's, it's, you know, uh, really make the strongest justification, document the strongest justification they can as to why they feel this, this change is not significant. You know, if, if they feel it's significant, well, then they know they need to engage a notified body. They can't make the change if they don't. So, that, I mean, that's always the option is don't make the change. I guess, depending on the origin of the change, sometimes that's not an option. Um, so it's either, you know, don't make the change or make it um, with the confidence that it's not significant. And if you don't have a notified body to approach, there's, there's not a lot you can do. It's just be clear in your own documentation so that, you know, if a competent authority looks or when you do eventually get in front of a notified body, you're going to be able to back up your reasoning behind it. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's no silver bullet there. It's, it's, it's a tough situation for a lot of industry. Yeah, and, and we just have to say it's also a tough situation for notified bodies. It's not like notified bodies oh, are yeah. happy of the situation. Yeah. So it's, a, it's really something no, I mean, tough. Yeah, like, like when I talk about industry, I mean, I mean manufacturers and notified bodies. You know, notified bodies are a critical part of the device industry. And, you know, they, they don't like turning away people. They don't like not being able to, to get back to people as quick as possible. But it's just, you know, you mentioned the numbers again, seven notified bodies. It's just there's not the volume there to, to deal with the capacity to deal with the volume of work. It's just not there. Exactly. And just as a reminder, um, so um, before uh, there was a change, a new proposal, a change uh, for the, the application of the 
IVDR mm -hmm. for certain classification. So we have class A that is immediately by the 26th of May 2020, uh, 2022. Yeah. And then gradually each class, do you remember the, the timelines? Uh, 2025, yeah. 2020, what is exactly yeah. the timeline again? So, so if you're if you're a class A non non sterile, you got to comply in 14 days. That's it. Now, if you're a, a class A sterile or a B, you have until May 2027. Um, if you're a class C, you have until 2026. If you're a class D, you have until 2025. So, it I suppose you got to think about it again in the buckets of we're talking about legacy devices. We split them into the people that have an IVDD certificate and those that don't. So the ones that have it have an IVDD certificate. The latest they have is 2025. And then those who under the directive are self-cert, but perhaps now, you know, you could be a self-cert under the directive and, you know, regulations turning you into a class D. And like a, a topical example of that is a COVID assay, yeah. um, you know, not a, not a, a self-test assay because under the directive, they needed a notified body. But if you're a non-self-test COVID assay, you're self-certified under the directive. And then, you know, like that, you're becoming a class D under the regulation. So that, that's the staggered timelines for 25, 26, and 27. And, you know, I, I really hope that, and it's brilliant that, that, um, that they made that adjustment, you know, in, yeah. in back in, in the earlier part of this year. It definitely takes pressure off. But I suppose I would, I would hope and urge that industry doesn't, doesn't take their foot off the pedal. You know, and it's like 2027 seems like a long time away, but with what you have to do and like typical review times are, with notified bodies are looking like it's going to be 12 months, probably a little more. So that's 12 months off, you know, your, your date in the distance already. And then you have to get in front of the notified body, which they can have a, a lead time of six or eight months. But even before that, then you need to be ready. And, you know, coming back to your intended purpose, your classification, your performance evaluation requirements, it takes a long time to be ready. So these, these alterations to the transition provisions is totally welcome and, and will certainly help. But I would just really hope that people still keep their foot in the pedal and, and keep working towards compliance. So one image that I received when we talked about transition period with MDR and the, it can be the same for IVDR is the image of a plane that is landing. The idea mm. is that this transition period is the, the way you have to land. You have to land during this transition period. It's not like you have to yeah. continue to fly and then yeah. wait until the end to crash, if I can say it. <laughs> so it's really yeah. a landing process. So Absolutely. you have really to, yeah. to, to look at that in that way and not wait until yeah. really the end. So it's mainly, mainly that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's in some ways it's a gift, you know, from the commission. You've got this extra time, um, you know, use it wisely. Really, is is I think is the message. Just get in and, and prepare now. Great, great. So, uh, thank you for that. I think yeah, I I hope it covers really all the topics that uh, that you wanted to mm -hmm. discuss. Um, just wanted to ask you. I mean, you at Twinzo uh, with MedDev Solutions. So, how can you help? If I can say the the crowds here that are listening to. Uh, to us now yeah yeah um i guess there's you know i, I think there's a lot we can do i suppose um you know with the the meddev solutions is the training arm of trinzo so um you know meddev offers um offers public training we actually we've got a, an ivdr training coming up um in june okay. so you know the best way to find out information about that is going to be on the meddev uh, website so maybe you can put a link in the show I'll notes put, so there's put that, yeah, yeah. There's a two-day IVDR training course in June, which which is you know it's going to be really beneficial. Um, that's a public course, but MedDev also does uh, like in-house sort of bespoke training, so where we can come to a manufacturer virtually or, or in person and do 
training and is i guess it's those sessions they often morph into kind of workshops where we're actually going through the manufacturer's technical file as well so it's training and and workshops um and meddev solutions have uh, have have the guidebooks which you might have seen around before so those are really really useful to have and then i suppose the trinzo side of things is the consultation side where okay. um you know the the goal really is is to add value wherever it's possible so whether that's getting in and doing a gap analysis or remediating a tech file preparing for a notified body submission or helping with notified body responses that are going back you know those are all things that uh, that trinzo can offer um you know and i think industry like we talked about resourcing is such a challenge um yeah. and, yeah. and you know industry has to has to use whatever is at their disposal and that's you know that's where we hope to be able to add value no i think i think it's completely right i mean uh, i'm also having customers and it's mm. there is too much if i can say so we cannot handle oh, everything yeah. so it's good to have also some other consultancy firm to help it's not like yeah, uh, like yeah. we are making any competition there is so many uh so but many uh, too much work. as you said too much. from 10 percent to 90 percent. so i don't think yeah. we can all handle that so let's have more people coming uh, and helping absolutely uh, helping yeah yeah absolutely so, so i will put all those links if i can say on the show notes so please go to the mm. show notes and uh, if you want to call uh call my, or discuss with the people from Trinzo, so don't hesitate and look at also the training uh, training for IVDR if you are interested for for your team uh, team there. Okay, um, Corm. So really, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I hope to see you again maybe for yeah. another topic. I have. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we have so many things to discuss. Uh, when I started my oh, yeah. podcast, I think oh within maybe few episodes there will be no more to discuss. But it's been now <laughs> since three years. And Absolutely. Always a new thing to discuss. So really happy yeah, to yeah, have you definitely. again. Yeah. No. Thank you very much, Manir. It's been a pleasure being here. I'd love to speak to you again in the future. Great. So thank you, and I wish you a thank nice. Thank you very day. much. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.